Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. We are starting our Advent series, which means Christmas is round the corner. I am one of those people that loves Christmas. I love it. My birthday is on the 12th of November. From the 13th, I start celebrating Christmas. That's right. I wait until my birthday is over. Then it's Christmas time. It's my favorite time of the year. Anyone else feel that way? Anybody? Yes? Just a couple of us? Great. The rest of you Grinches, God bless you. (laughs) Before we get into today's message, uh, let's just quickly pray. Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for today. I thank you, Lord God, um, that as we begin this Advent series, that we recognize your sovereignty, your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that everyone in here has an ear to hear and a heart to receive your word this morning and to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Advent is defined as the arrival of a notable person or thing. And there's no one more notable than Jesus Christ, certainly for us um, in the Christian faith. When we used to rap, we used to say, Jesus is the reason for the season, children. Sounds cool, doesn't it? Sounded much better when I was younger. It's a young man's game, Adam. It's a young man's game. Yeah, that's why I'm retired now. Semi-retired. Advent is, is a great opportunity for us to recenter ourselves in light of Jesus's story, right? Luke chapter 2 verse 13 to 14 says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. The Christmas season is a chance for us to join the heavenly choir and sing out a different chorus than the ones presented to us by the world, especially during this time. As a church community, it's worth being reminded of who we are as followers of Jesus and the story we're living out in our culture. Our call is to live out Jesus' story in the world share the story with others, and invite them to join a new song for their lives in God's story. David Benson said, we as God's people are called to sing a new song and dance a new dance of love in a self-consumed world. Here is a question uh, for you to think about as we get into today's message. How can we, as followers of Jesus, refocus the attention of our friends and family this Christmas amidst the busyness, expensiveness, excessiveness, and stressfulness that is this season or that this season carries? So just have a think of that, reflect on that as we're going through um, today's message. Advent reminds us that we are living between Hallelujah, or between the hallelujah of Christ's resurrection and the Maranatha of Christ's return. That's a great word. The now and not yet, waiting, hoping, expecting, yet rejoicing Jesus was born, is Lord of all and has defeated death itself. Um, Do you know why the humble tomato turned red? No, because it saw the salad dressing, of course. 
It's a good one, isn't it? Ah, thanks, Lou. Listen, it's Christmas. It's dad joke season. There's more to come, guys. There's more to come. Okay, I've got one more. Why did Mr. Humble Potato avoid the spotlight? He didn't want to get mashed up in the fame game. Come on. These are great. All right, follow me on Instagram. I've got more to come this Christmas season. That's it for now. So today's talk is titled, Humility in a World of Status. So we'll read from today's verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Truth be told, we live in a society where success is frequently measured by titles, wealth, and achievements, where the concept of humility might seem counterintuitive. Nowadays, you know, you can't turn your phone on uh, without being bombarded with messages that encourage us to climb the ladder, strive for the top, and assert our individuality. However, Today, we're going to explore how humility, far from being a weakness, is a strength that enriches our lives and relationships. You see, humility is not about self-deprecation or belittling our accomplishments. Instead, it's an honest acknowledgement of our strengths and weaknesses, coupled with a genuine recognition of the worth of others. It's about recognizing that everyone we encounter is on their unique journey, facing their own struggles and triumphs, which is so counter to what I've always believed or what I used to think humility was all about. It was all about, you know, beating yourself down and being the lesser or the lowest person in the room. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8 reads, In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself to the point of death for the sake of humanity. This demonstrates that true greatness is found in selfless service and sacrificial love. True greatness is found in selfish, selfless service and sacrificial love. There's a short story I'd like to share with you about a wise elder named Abigail. So Abigail lived in a small village. Despite her vast knowledge and experience, she was known for her humility. One day, a curious young girl approached her and asked, how did you become so wise and respected? Abigail smiled and led the young person to a nearby river. She invited her to fill a cup of water from the river. The young girl did so. And Abigail asked, now tell me, how much space did 
that water take up in the river? The young girl thought for a minute and replied, well, just a tiny amount, I guess. You see, the river is huge, and my cup only holds a, a, a fraction of it. Abigail nodded and, and shared her wisdom. She said, in the grand river of knowledge and life, each of us holds only a small cup. True wisdom is recognizing the vastness that exists beyond our own understanding. Stay humble, my dear, for there is always more to learn, and each person you encounter has a river of wisdom within them. That's a deep, revy moment. <laughs> the young girl left with a newfound appreciation for humility, understanding that acknowledging the vastness of knowledge and recognizing the wisdom in others was the key to true enlightenment. In a world fixated on status symbols, be it job titles, social media followers, or material possessions, we often forget that these are fleeting external markers of success. True status lies in the character we develop, the compassion we show, and the impact we make in the lives of others. True status lies in the character we develop, the compassion we show, and the impact we make in the lives of others. You know, when I remember being at uni, and I don't know if, if you guys will, will, uh, can relate to this, but there was a time during uni days where um, multi-level marketing was a big deal. Anyone else remember that? Yeah. Anyone know Tony Robbins? Yeah, that guy, that big giant of a man who shouts at you and encourages you to be great and walk on hot coals and gives you massive high fives. Yeah, that guy, yeah. So uh, I remember being at uni and you get, you get kind of swallowed up by this wave of, you can be rich quick. Come join this scheme. Multi-level marketing. And you're like, what? Okay, I want to be rich. I'm a poor student eating beans on toast. I'd like to be rich. And you get sucked into all of this stuff and it's all about status. It's all about quick money. But actually, over time, you start to realize that this is, this is not fundamental to who we are as human beings. You can be as successful as you like or as successful as you think you are and not actually make an impact on anyone's lives. So you could be as, as rich as Bill Gates and not make an impact. I've been, recently, I've been watching a show called Billions. Anyone watch that show? It's a very interesting show. I've only just started watching it. It's wild. I'm only on season two, so please don't tell me what happens. It's like seven seasons. I'm locked in. I am fully bought into it. But it's wild because it's the concept is around this guy who's started off poor, then became rich, but the way he became rich was just really dubious. And it's about him going up against this guy who's the DA and, and he's like trying to get this guy arrested and he somehow seems to slither his way out. And one of the episodes he's talking about, but I've given $100 million to the Fireman's Foundation Fund and I've done this and I've done that. And you're like, Okay, you have, but the way you've done it matters. What you've done is as important as how you do it. We have a great opportunity this season to cultivate humility in our lives. I encourage you to take time for self-reflection. Every year, I like to take at least a couple of days before January where we, I get to reflect on the year. 
how's the year gone? What have we achieved this year? What are we trying to achieve um, next year? And it's me and God, and I'm praying, and I'm meditating on his word, and he's speaking to me, and I'm listening, and I'm writing. And in that time, I acknowledge my strengths and my weaknesses. Because in doing so, I begin to cultivate a spirit of gratitude for the lessons I've learned through both success and failure this year. And that's an important thing for us to do. And in this day and age, I don't think um, we're encouraged enough, other than people that go to Christ Church, they're very good at this, on reflecting. And reflecting is important. It's important to just take a minute and think about things and allow God to speak to you and to speak into the things that are in your life. I encourage you this season to seek to understand the experiences of others. When we actively listen, empathize, and extend compassion, realizing that everyone is fighting battles we may know nothing about, this is when we begin to move as God moves and love as God loves. And this was a lesson I remember learning when I was going through Bible school. Because, you know, uh, I started off as a youth worker and I love young people and I work with young people. And when you work with young people, it's so easy to judge them based on their current behavior. What they're doing to you right now. I remember one time I grabbed a young guy because he was just, Helen was with me, we were at a football match. Helen tried to encourage him because she thought she was a youth worker. I said, just calm down, it's not your bag. But she was there, she tried, she was like, hey, well done, you can do it, Daniel. She, she didn't do anything wrong. And he's just like, shut up, don't talk to me. And I was like, are you mad? Because I was newly, newly married, I was young, and you know, God was still working on me. Don't judge me. And I grabbed him and I was like, what are you doing? And then afterwards, like, Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And then I went back and I started talking to him. And I found out that he comes from a, uh, he's got a crazy background, you know, um, really dysfunctional background, super challenging family, is living with his grandmother, hasn't got any male role models, is never told he's being good at anything. So when it comes, he doesn't know how to react. So he's so used to being on the defensive, he doesn't know how to take a compliment. And we've all worked with people like that, who when you tell them they're great, we do an exercise at work with the team where we go around and we, we speak into each individual's lives, right? So let's say Adam is, is part of the team. There'll be 10 of us or 15 or however many out there at the time. And each of us will say something really positive about Adam. We'll speak into his life. And it's super awkward for English people. Super awkward. They don't know how to take it. They're just fidgeting and they're like, ah, <laughs> okay, thanks. And they're like, just receive it. There's an experiment that was done where they took two plants, put good on one, put bad on the other, spoke amazing affirmations into one plant, didn't say anything into the other plant, and they observed them over a period of time. The plant that they spoke into, that's all they did, they just spoke into it, flourished, and the other one just withered and died. There is power in the words that we have. There is power in your words. You can speak life and death. There is power in your tongue. Seek to understand the experiences of others. Embrace opportunities to serve without expecting recognition or praise. Acts of kindness, no matter how small, contribute to a culture of humility. 
This year, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, our word for the year is kindness. Lead with kindness. And that's just not kindness to other people, but kindness to yourself. Right? Embrace opportunities to serve without expecting recognition of praise. And instead of hiding our mistakes, let's learn from them. Humility allows us to admit when we are wrong, seek forgiveness, and grow from our experiences. How many people find it difficult to admit they're wrong? Anybody? No, it's just me? Okay, whatever. God knows your hearts. It is a challenging thing to admit you are wrong, especially to children. No, it's just me? I grew up in a household where my African parents never admitted they were wrong when I knew they were wrong. And I've called them out on it as an adult. And they still, hmm, they're still standing, they're standing their ground and going, I was not wrong. You don't understand the situation. I was like, Dad, you were wrong, man. Just say sorry. Right? But I think we're in an, we're in an age now where we can actually admit that you were wrong. You know, sometimes we overreact when we are parenting our children. And it's a good thing to admit that you are wrong. Seek forgiveness and grow from your experiences. One, you're modeling a lifestyle of humility for your child, and it's a healthy way of living. John Piper said, Jesus' humility was not a sense of defect in himself, but a sense of fullness in himself put at the disposal of others for their good. It was a voluntary lowering of himself to make the height of his glory available for sinners to enjoy. Jesus makes the connection between his Christmas lowliness and the good news for us. The Bible says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And that's found in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. That alone will preach. That's a whole series just on that alone. The humility of Jesus gives us a powerful example that can unburden us in a world consumed by self-promotion. And, um, and this really challenged me. For those of you, anyone on Instagram? Anybody? Yeah, some of us are on Instagram. Okay, yeah. Are you an influencer? You're an influencer, Alice. Okay, cool. I'll follow you as well. Um, you know, Instagram and a lot of these social media platforms, even LinkedIn, actually, to, to a certain extent, it's all about self-promotion. It's like, what have I done? Look at what I've done. Look at this. Look at this snippet of my life and look how amazing it is. And it's, it's so not true. To reality. And if you don't know that, you can easily fall into this world of comparison and, you know, trying to achieve stuff that you know you, you could never achieve it. So this is where we have to be aware of how consumed we are by self-promotion, whether it is online or whether it is in person at work. And there are a few ways here in which Jesus' humility serves as a source of liberation. The first one, release yourself from the pressure to impress. 
Jesus, despite being the son of God, did not assert his divine status to impress others. Instead, he embraced humility, even to the point of taking on the role of a servant. This example liberates us from the constant pressure to prove ourselves, realizing that our value is not determined by external achievements or recognition. This one resonates with me so much coming from an African background where success is determined by whether you're a doctor, lawyer, or accountant. And I am none of those. And the other day I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be Southeast Asian. And he is super keen for his 10-year-old daughter to go to Cambridge because he went to Cambridge. And as he was telling me this, I was like, she's 10, calm down. And as a friend, I had to let him know that he was really starting to turn into his dad and remind him that going to Cambridge is not a measure of success, as proven by a lot of his classmates, who are quite frankly bums. I've seen them, and they're not doing anything with their lives. Um, they need to find Jesus first, and then they'll you know, use their intelligence for something really good. But it is, you know, going to Cambridge, going to Oxford, getting these degrees, getting these jobs is not a measure of success. And we have to release ourselves from the pressure that is imposed on us by either society or our family to impress them. Number two, Jesus's humility serves as a source of liberation. It frees us from comparison. So we live in a world that encourages comparison and competition. Jesus's humility teaches us that true worth is found in our identity as children of God. By focusing on serving others rather than trying to outshine them, we free ourselves from the burdensome cycle of comparison and rivalry. And I recently, well, I started in January, started going to the gym with Femi over there and a couple of the guys um, from Sutton. And what I love about that group is that although they're all massive, they're all, they're, they're huge. They're, they're absolutely, don't be fooled by his jumper. He's massive. They are, and he's not even one of the biggest, biggest guys. They are huge guys, right? They're very, they're, they're super encouraging. And it's all, it's not about competing with each other. It's not about, you know, trying to lift heavy objects and just move heavy things. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great community of camaraderie, and we're there to try and keep fit. But what ends up happening is we start to encourage each other on our actual lives beyond the gym. Because we're all sharing our journeys. We're sharing what we're trying to achieve, where we're going, and what we're doing. And that's what I would encourage you to do. If you do not have a community of people around you that you can do that with, I encourage you to try and find them. We have great communities here. Um, but try and find a community that can encourage you through the journey that you're in right now. Thirdly, embrace authenticity. Jesus' humility allowed him to authentically connect with people from all walks of life. He wasn't concerned with projecting an image of perfection, but embraced the reality of the human experience. Likewise, we can find liberation by letting go of the need to maintain a facade and embracing our authentic selves. If you're a creative, be that. If you're an academic, be that. If you're an athlete, 
be that. And if you're a gym bro, be a gym bro. It's all gravy. A few years ago, I was working with a young man from Brixton who he loved to draw. That was his thing. He loved to draw, he loved Japanese culture, and he loved Japanese anime. But because he lived in Angeltown, in Brixton, which is down the road from here, he couldn't tell anybody that he loved anime because he was trying to put on this facade that he was one of the mandem. You know what mandem is? If you don't know, please Google it. He was trying to be part of the, the boys in the block, riding around on push bikes, wearing black hoodies and pretending to be rap stars. And when he came across us, we paired him up with a mentor and we worked with him. And over the course of the journey with us, we found out about this love for Japanese art and Japanese anime. So we were able to get some funding to send him on a course to learn Japanese, which he did in secret. And then he ended up going to Japan. He saved up. I I, probably drug money. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not trying to judge him, but I don't know where he got his money from. But um, it definitely wasn't Sainsbury's. <laughs> and he saved up his money. He ended up in Japan. And the last I heard, he was, he was on a course there in an international school in Japan. And I'm pretty sure he stayed there. But it freed him from not being his true, authentic self. And a lot of us find ourselves in situations where we are pretending to be one thing. I've got a lot of friends that live in the city. And they start to talk differently. <laughs> they start to behave differently. They start to dress differently. And it's not their authentic self. There's a meme of... Um, that I saw online of this guy, and it says, you know, if only my work colleagues knew who the real me was, they would never speak to me. And he gets into his car, he takes off all his suits, put on his baseball cap, his do-rag, and he's just listening to his heavy, hardcore um, dungeon rap. And I was like, okay, be your authentic self, buddy. Fourthly, Jesus' humility relieves us from the weight of pride. Pride can be a heavy burden to carry. Jesus, by humbling himself, invites us to release the weight of pride and ego. When we acknowledge our limitations and depend on God's grace, we experience a sense of relief, understanding that we don't need to carry the burden of self-sufficiency. I'm guilty of that. Anyone else guilty of that? The beauty of the love of God is knowing that you don't have to do it yourself. He's got you and he'll never leave you. Some of us have that personality trait where we, 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 know, we, we know that we know the answer and we know how to get from A to B. But sometimes, and I'd say majority of the time, we actually don't know. And it's a false sense of confidence. And what we want to do is put our confidence in God and his leading, and Holy Spirit to guide us through the journey. The fifth one, fifth point, acceptance of imperfection. Jesus' humility doesn't demand perfection. Instead, it extends grace to the imperfect. This acceptance liberates us from the unrealistic expectations we often place on ourselves, allowing us to embrace the journey of growth and transformation without the constant fear of failure. Fear of failure is one of the top topics that people come with to the STEPS program. 
And if this happens to be one of yours, here's a shameless plug. Please sign up to Steps. It is great. It'll help you address this fear of failure, where it's come from, and why you are leaning into it. Finally, Jesus' humility connects us to God's unconditional love. Ultimately, Jesus' humility, while, as it connects us to the profound truth of God's unconditional love, we realize that our values, that our value is not contingent on worldly success or recognition. We can experience the freedom that comes from resting in the assurance of being loved and accepted by God just as we are. By acknowledging God's sovereignty over our lives and recognizing that God is in control, we become more willing to surrender our own desires for control, trusting that his plan is greater than our own. Amen. This feels like one of those medicinal sermons again, doesn't it? Humility helps us understand that everything we have is a gift from God. This perspective shifts our mindset from ownership to stewardship. When we see our possessions as entrusted to us by God, we become more open to using them for the good of others rather than hoarding them for personal gain. When we're walking in humility, we gain contentment in God's provision rather than in our possessions or status. When we are humble, we can surrender the pursuit of worldly success for a contented reliance on God's sufficiency. A humble heart is a generous heart. When we recognize the needs of others, humility prompts us to share our resources, whether they be material, possessions, skills, or positions of influence for the well-being of those in need. Can I ask the band to come back up, please? As I close up, I want to ask you guys to go away and reflect and remember that humility is the transformative force that redirects our focus, fosters contentment, and encourages a lifestyle of generosity and service modeled after the selfless love of Jesus. Can I ask you to stand to your feet? As we go into this season of Advent, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is a great opportunity for us to reflect, a great opportunity for us to, to think about how this year has gone. What have we achieved? What are we trying to achieve? Where are we trying to go? And what is God trying to say to us? The question that I asked you at the beginning was, how can we as followers of Jesus refocus the attention of our friends and family this Christmas amidst the busyness, expensiveness, excessiveness, and stressfulness that this season carries? Well, one of the ways is by reflecting on our lives first and understanding where we are. And in doing so, you put yourself in a much stronger position to influence your family members as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wisdom that is found in your word. We pray that you help us to guard our hearts against greed, that we find true richness in being generous, compassionate, 
that you guide us to live purposefully, recognizing you, recognizing your sovereignty. We thank you, Father, for everyone that is in here today. We pray that your anointing flow over them. We pray that you surround them with a hedge of protection. And we thank you for the peace that surpasses all knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.